When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week sees the MotoGP World Championship race in Indonesia at a brand new track. So we're here to preview what two-wheeled action we might be in store for. This is the Crash MotoGP podcast. The recording date is Monday the 14th of March. My name is Harry Benjamin. Alongside me, Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren. And of course, former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewin. Coming up. New flag and safety rules announced across the classes. Disaster for Moto3's John McPhee. Your questions answered, and there's a lot of them this week, uh, plus Keith's insider's guide to Mandalika. Do make sure you are subscribed to uh, the Crash MotoGP YouTube channel and the Crash MotoGP podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, leave us a like and review. It goes a long way. Uh, but while you do that... Let's get stuck into things, shall we, gents? Um, and first of all, I suppose we work a little bit in chronological order of what's happened in the last few days since uh, the first race. There's been a few updates in terms of sort of little technical regulations and sporting rules. This use of yellow and red uh, flags has been redefined, Pete. It might be worth coming to you on that first. Can you just explain a little bit about what's happened there? Because it, it seems like they just try to make it a bit more simple in terms of what the riders can expect when looking at the flags. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Harry. This does seem to have come from the riders. So this is feedback from the riders that they've taken on board. And it was basically, it's it was to just sort of split the, the rain flag and, and the reduced adhesion flags, if you like, because there were situations in the past where if it was raining and it was slippery on track, you'd see both flags. Now, the trouble with that is if, if something else then happened, such as someone dropped oil, there was gravel, something like that, you've still got those same flags out. So the riders didn't know that there was something in addition to the rain on the track. So what they're doing now is the rain flag is only for rain and the limited adhesion flag is only for things other than rain. So that's the key thing. If you see both flags being waved in future, you know it's raining and there's something on the track. So this has come from the riders. It makes sense. I think that it's going to filter down across all sort of the, the, the two-wheel classes now. But that's, yeah, the riders wanted a bit more clarity on that. Mm. And Makes that you wonder is, how uh, it took them so long sometimes, doesn't it? Because it just, it's almost like comes under the <laughs> heading of common sense, you know, like sort of, it's fairly easy to work out. I noted, Harry, that you re regarded us as simple, simple rule changes for, for the simpletons <laughs> among us, but it does make sense. <laughs> 
It does make sense. And what also makes sense, of course, is Keith, we've spoken about this many, many times, is that uh, Moto3 have said, or it's been said for Moto3, they're developing this new accident warning system for in-race situations, of course, in response to the tragedies that occurred last year. It's still yet to kind of be fully explained, but it looks like they're going to go with the whole um, rear rain light flashing system uh, to warn other bikes around when there's a fallen rider. Uh, This is good stuff, isn't it, to, to come out so early in the season? but it needs to happen quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But you've got to have a test period for it to work through. You've got to have that transition period to make sure that it absolutely is foolproof because the last thing you need is the wrong kind of signals going back. That's going to cause you as many troubles as not having it. So at the end of the day, it's got to be right. And they've scheduled that. They've slated that for some races this year to, to, to try the system out, to try and work the system through. And the riders at the end will give the ultimate um, verdict on that, I would have said. But it's still not going to affect really the main, the front group, if you like. It's a situation where the, the following group are going to be the beneficiaries of something like that. Because if something happens instantaneously, you're already in that sector. You're already amongst those riders. So it's still not kind of going to stop, say, 50% of, of, of the kind of accidents that we've seen where people have come together, tagged each other. But it will make it a lot safer for those that are coming onto that scene. Um, they'll have that little that visual early warning um, that there is a massive accident or massive problem coming up a, ahead of them. So yeah, it's a benefit, but we'll see we'll see how it pans out, see how it works at the moment. I mean, I think most of the focus for me at the minute technically is 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 on what's not going to be allowed in the future rather than what's coming as new. I mean, this this, this you know bonfire that's gone up over the shapeshifters that, that Ducati have obviously developed to the nth degree under the rules as they are at the moment. Um, that's that's creating quite a lot of people thinking about what where we're going from from all of that. Actually, I don't know why, but when, going through my head while I was thinking of that was <laughs> there's all of us looking towards all this high innovation and all this new stuff that's coming out, and then there's the baggers race at Daytona that's got us all watching it because Jeremy Williams won the second one out there. A 57-year-old bloke on a monster motorbike with bloody panniers on the back of it and the whole world is watching that and cheering about it while we're going on about tiny details in uh, in Grand Prix. I think it goes under the heading, doesn't it? That um, as long as it's good racing, any racing is pretty good. Maybe. Absolutely. I think I think a lot of people would agree with you. How far we've come, though, to be bickering over the minute uh, instances of, of MotoGP. And what is a minute instance, just to round off this uh, this new warning system, Pete, is that I read that, uh, I think on, on Crash.net, they're going to have to change up the system already that which in which they're being warned because it, at the moment it's a dashboard messaging system, isn't it? So that has to change because that's a one-way system right now? Yeah, I'm no expert on this, but this is what the people <laughs> is, told this me. This is your it, idea last year, wasn't it? <laughs> but this is what the people, when I asked about this idea, this was this is what I was told. You're right to bring this up, Harry, because they were told that was the main difficulty. They went, look, finding out a bike has fallen over, we can do that now. You know, even your most basic bike has a has a tilt switch which shuts the engine off when it's on its side. I mean, there's a, there's the very basic method of telling you a bike has fallen over that's not the difficult part the difficult part is and and keith was saying as well getting full this foolproof communication to go from the fallen bike to the other riders and and this is what you're speaking about there and yes this is what was told to me by the by the people high up at dorna that, that look after all the technical side is that it's at the moment the communication to the bikes is one way it goes from race direction to the bikes now you've got to change that so that it's coming out from the bikes and going to other bikes as well. So I think that is probably the biggest 
you know, the biggest solution or biggest area where they need to find a solution, re consistent, reliable solution, and, uh, something that they know is going to work in all types of weather, whether you've got hilly tracks, you know, whatever it is that you're going to get this, this reliable signal being sent out. I think detecting that a bike's fallen over, they can do that pretty easily. I think it's the communication side is really where they're going to, as Keith says, this is what these testing tests will be during the race situations. I think that's what their focus will be, making sure that they can get the message out there. The other thing as well, speaking as a rider, is that you're looking at your dashboard 90% of the time. You're too busy focused elsewhere or you're over one side of the bike or you're over the other side of the bike. So dashboard warnings are great. When you're down the front straight, you can have a quick quick gander at what's going on, but you don't have much rest on a racing motorbike, even on a Motor 3 bike. There's a lot going on. So really the combination of dashboard, real light, track side, they've got that right now with these flashing, you know, red, yellow, blue, and so on, um, flashing lights at the side of the track. But I'm still, you know, I still think that that in-helmet marker is still one that, again, you, you can't avoid because it's there wherever you're looking, wherever you are on the bike, where, wherever you are on the track, you've got that marker. But, you know, will that be a distraction for some riders? Will they not want that? You know, there are going to be riders that won't want that kind of system, that, that, that are old school riders. You know, would you want that? <laughs> again, strangely, earplugs. Everybody uses earplugs now, but I remember when they first came out, I couldn't ride with an earplug in. It absolutely distracted the really? hell out of me. Um, fortunately, I never went deaf, but a lot of riders of my <laughs> era uh, are, are partially deaf and having to use hearing aids and the like now because of the amount of noise, wind noise or, or motorbike noise that went, went on in your helmet. Um, but it was a real big thing for me. I remember trying to put them in. It was like I was drunk when I first, the first lap I did with a... So seeing a flashing light in your helmet, I can understand that that might be a bit tricky as well. So is it, the riders have really got to approve these things as they as they evolve, I think, is the, is the main thing. Yeah, absolutely, Keith. Sorry, I, I should have made clear. As you say, the dashboard message is not sufficient. It's just that that at the moment is the method by which race direction communicates with the bike. So yeah, that, that won't be good enough. It'll be, as you say, the rear rain light or maybe a helmet light. But But even so, the issue is, the two-way system, that's, that's the bit they've got to sort out. But yeah, the, I mean, if it was just a matter of sorting out the dashboard messages, I mean, they've got them now, as Keith says, and as we've seen, they're not good enough. It doesn't work. Look at Lorenzo Savadori, Danny Pedroza in Austria last year, wasn't it? I mean, that could have been, a, they were, what, Pedroza was, what, mid-pack? Savadori was at the back. I think it was five seconds, you know, time difference between a fallen bike and then Savadori hitting that bike. So, we know something needs to be done. The yellow flags were out then, but you know he just didn't see them. As he says, you, you leant over, he was unsighted. So yeah, there's a lot of things to work out, isn't there? There's the communication side, the visual side, or, or even an audible sound. Let's see what they come up with, but um, but they're making progress. And I think that's the, the main thing. Yeah, definitely. The, Indeed, the main thing is there's a big effort going that. on behind the scenes to get it right, which is a good thing. 100%. Well, let, let's keep with uh, Moto3, actually, because there's a lot of news coming out about that. And it's uh, after a very, very decent start to the year, finished fifth in this first race. John McPhee, Keith, he's, uh, well, the, the quotes are he's targeting a return. And that's because he's now out. He's fractured two of his vertebrae in a, a training accident. So he's missing Indonesia. Nightmare start for John McPhee in what is a crucial year for him. I don't know if, um, I mean... <laughs> 
we're Buddhists in Have this I been family, too harsh? Um, through, uh, through one way or another. So at the end of the day, what goes around comes around is the, is the karma with Buddhism and, and, and the, the belief that something you did in a previous life is affecting the one you're having right now. So I don't know what the hell John McPhee did in the previous life because he has no bloody luck every time I, I watch. I mean, I, it's hard to believe that McPhee could have some of the kind of luck that he has. But this, I was reading something on his website this morning because he fell out with me the other day. We, we, I tweeted it out that he, he wasn't riding in uh, Mandalika um, because of a training injury. Um, I was a bit quick off the mark, but it was actually already out there in the public domain. I'd already had the notification that the team had withdrawn him and he wasn't going to be replaced for Mandalika. So I put it in, in, in Twitter and he tweeted me to say, thanks a lot, mate. I haven't told half of my bloody sponsors yet. Um, so he, he wasn't the happiest of chaps. But the fact is, I think it's the only time that he's ever withdrawn from a race because of a training incident and there are a lot of riders that, that can't throw stones in this particular glass house because you know training accidents are happening all the time well, the, the top man market i mean that's the reason why he was out because of, of a training accident you know it happens all of the time but right at a crucial time for mcphee mcphee needs this year he will be 28 later in this year that means no more moto 3 next year he'll be done he'll be too old for moto 3 come next year i think i think that's the rule in it Pete. i think 28 but anyway, um, it, I, I'm sure it is. And so McPhee ha is at a crossroads, massive crossroads. He needs result after result after result this year. You know, you can see the way the trolls have set about him lately and all the rest of it. You know, well, you know, what was one of them said that, that will save the crash damage from this weekend then or something along those lines. It's a harsh world that McPhee is in at the moment. He's got to put all of that stuff that he's reading or seeing behind him and come back yet again. We know he can do it because he's done it many, many times. But a back injury, mate, you only realise what's connected when you've got a back injury. If you move your little finger, it hurts your back. I mean, I've compressed. The, one of my earliest accidents was the bottom four vertebrae in my back when I had a crash at Brands and went under the barrier at Bottom Bend as it was in the day. Ooh. And even as a youngster as I was then, I was only like 19, that has haunted me for the rest of my life, still now. You know, you get up in the morning and you walk on all fours for the first half an hour. It's ridiculous. Uh, might be age, but anyway. <laughs> but the fact the fact is is that it's it's a painful injury and one that you just can't get a grip of. It fixes itself. It mends when it mends. You can you can build up muscle around your back to try and you know keep your back strong. Apparently, this isn't a, an injury that needs surgery. Um, it sounds like he's fractured or squidged some vertebrae now. The cartilages between the vertebrae, what happens with some is that they get squidged out and then you're bone to bone. And it's unbelievably painful. It's unbelievably painful. You stretch your arm out and your back twists. You move your head and your back tweaks. You know, it's something that you just can't. Anybody with a back injury that's listening to this will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, anybody that's got back pain, lower back pain, they will know exactly what I'm on about. And, and McPhee has got, this is going to be a big issue to get over at the beginning of a year. Disaster for him. Yeah, it is. It's no, it's no good way of looking at it. Pete. He has said that you know it's stable and there is no need for surgery. So he's hoping to be back in time for the Argentine Grand Prix at the start of April. But I mean, there's there's just nothing good to come out of this. You know, in contention for a podium, just about, but slipped back in the uh, towards the end in Qatar. So he would have been hoping to carry through that momentum now. And as Keith alludes to, he's going to have to just sort of rebuild yet again. That's it, Harry, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, fifth place is a good solid start to the year, wasn't it? Not I mean, Obviously, his, his teammates sort of stole the limelight, didn't he, Sasaki, by leading for all that time and everything else. But still, it was a, 
on paper it was a good solid base by which to start the year and and you often think solid points until you get into the European season and then that's when you know the real heart of the championship is but yeah it's definitely sort of obviously knocked him out of kilter here it's funny we talk about solid don't we like 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 a fifth place is nowhere in motor three it's brilliant you know to be in that group to be thereabouts with the quality that there is in motor three it's a great race it's only because he's reached the age and he's a bit of a veteran in that class i think that people are a little bit down on him he's one of our best riders in this country you know he's a grand prix winner and yet he kind of gets that i don't know he gets that slight maybe it's because he's scottish i don't know it's kind of one of them things where he gets stick when he doesn't deserve it he's one of our top riders one of our top racers and I, I kind of don't understand it. Yeah, criticism, I think, in the in, you know, is is always due with all riders. We're we're talking about a performance industry, so if you're doing the business, then you get the accolades. If you're not, then you don't. But fifth place in the opening Grand Prix is a good ride by anybody's standards. And also, of course, he, you know, John did a good job when he stepped on that Motor Two bike, didn't he? You know, Keith was just saying about how wanting to go up a class next year. So, you know, he'd already kind of okay. He didn't get the ride for this year, but he, he's already got half a door open you might say as far as motor two teams just going well yeah you know he can he can ride a bigger bike and so as Keith says he you know this season is so important to then sort of seal the deal if you like in motor two next year and so yeah it's really unfortunate timing and, and let's hope that as Keith says this injury heals and doesn't keep niggling away and, and dragging on sometimes it sounds strange but when when you see things oh it doesn't require surgery that can that can sometimes mean a longer recovery can't it you know sometimes when yeah. they go in and they they bolt a bit of metal on the guys jump on a bike and, and they're fine and yet other people that choose not to so i think just reading from from that it, people might interpret it as like oh it's not a big deal but you know as keith explained any kind of back injury is a big deal well we'll uh, i'm sure we'll all be sending him our, our best wishes for a speedy recovery because uh, we want john mcphee on that grid and, and performing well in, in what is uh, a big year for him so uh, all the best to john and uh, for a speedy recovery but as we all know not uh, the best timing uh, to happen right at the start of the year um well lots going on in moto three uh, in between a grand prix let's uh head back up to MotoGP because we had quite a lot of um, questions come in from our valued listeners. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Uh, Thank you for getting in touch in all the usual ways. Uh, Lots of these from our YouTube um, comments section. So I picked a couple out to chuck at you guys. Uh, Griff has asked you both. um, And a lot of this is, of course, based on the fallout of uh, of Qatar. Um, Do you think uh, the Suzuki's uh, we all know they, they had a really strong pace. They were really sort of bigged up, but perhaps underperformed when it came to the race. Do you think the Suzuki's had to hold back because of fuel? They had the top speed, but somehow just couldn't get closer to the front. I hope that's not the case. It must be the first time since I started following MotoGP in 1988 that Suzuki had one of the best top speeds. It's a good shout. I mean, he's doing his homework because we had that with Ducati once, didn't we? It used to be the fastest motorbike in a straight line, but you get towards the end of the race and it was all a, they were on a fuel-saving fuel mode. I don't think that's the case with Suzuki. Um, I don't think we're that close regarding the, the, the fueling of its concern. Um, but some of these fast tracks like Kota or here, you know, Qatar as was and the like, yeah, you, you're going to be running it fairly thin, I would think, by the end of a race. I think what happened in Qatar was, was more by the fact that the three days of, of, of running were inconsistent they weren't the same you know friday was was what it was saturday was kind of overcast and dusty and miserable and a little bit windy at one time as well and i think that the the track conditions changed and you only have to be the tiniest amount out on for instance 
tire pressure you know a little bit too much tire pressure and you get that ballooning you know that when the, the tire heats up to a temperature you weren't expecting it to get to you lose the grip and the shape and the like the support that you were expecting from it so there are a lot of things that could have affected them i think um you know if suzuki were all at sea imagine how ducati must have felt by the time they was uh, finishing yeah okay so they, they ended up with a race win that was a bit of luck wouldn't it if you're going to enter eight bikes into a into a race though you might expect that one of them might come up with the goods um, I think when we move on to Mandalika, that's going to be a different kettle of fish altogether. I think that a we've got to worry whether the track is going to be up to speed, whether it's going to whether whatever these problems were that they had both at the World Superbikes prior didn't do anything about. We got to MotoGP testing and the track was breaking up in the worst of possible places. There was only one line around there that you could ride on. Um, that is going to be a major issue, and we hold our breath because. The Indonesian round, make no bones about it, is really, really important in Dorna's marketplace, in the region's marketplace. I mean, an Indonesian Grand Prix. How many people are in Indonesia and all them islands? 250 million or something, which is a huge, you know, huge set of countries, set of countries, set of regions, if you like, and, and, and a massive market for motorcycling, particularly. So everyone's going to be wanting to, to make that work. Always used to... Uh, not amuse me, but astound me with the amount of effort Honda used to put into the PR. They always made Mark Marquez into Malaysia, into Indonesia, always really, it's just still the PR, you know, high ground every single year. And uh, rambling on like I do, I reckon it's going to be a Honda weekend. Ooh, well, hang there on, hold, hold that, because we've got our predictions <laughs> to do. We shall hold on to that, that Keith's already given the game away there. Um, but, uh, Pete, let, let's come on to um, Yamaha as well, just looking ahead to this weekend as well, and obviously off of, of last week too. Um, Moral Threat has asked, always a good listen to this podcast, love the detail, thank you very much. Um, one thing, Mo, another segment where you've been quite critical on Yamaha, um, but no mention of Lynn Jarvis. Why? Jarvis should be out of a job based on the last five years at Yamaha. And don't tell me about Fabio's win last year. That was all him. So he's, he's, he's come out fighting there. Do, well, do you want that one, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> Both of you have it. Well, uh, I think first of all, um, is it, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think Lynn's designing the engine. And I mean, the big problem they've got here is the top speed. I mean, let's, let's be clear here. I mean, Quattro I get is, what he's on about. I get what he's on about. Sure, sure. But, I mean, you've got Darren Binder on a 2020 engine. Okay, it's a 21 bike, isn't it? But we know that because of the technical reasons, it's a 2020 engine. Quattararo on the new factory bike, and the average speed improvement was 1.7K. Now... Yeah, that's because he was coming out the corner quicker. It, exactly, exactly. So... What you know? How, is this is this engine better at all? I mean, is, you could almost make that argument, given that we know aerodynamics play a part in top speed, ride height devices. So, I mean, this is the big mystery. What has gone on here with with the engine? Look at Suzuki. We're just talking about Suzuki. Mia was nine point three k quicker than last year in terms of his outright speed, and I think it's seven in terms of the average, which is the best five speeds. So you you know that's the level of difference you've got here. And I think Suzuki's problems. If we're going to just mix, mix the questions here. Perhaps doing that, you know, finding that, that amount of speed, it's going to throw up things that you perhaps don't expect, isn't it? I think the problem they've got is that we've got to believe the riders on this, I think, in that what they're telling us. I always remember I, I was asking about some sort of technical issue with, you know, something in the paddock at some stage. And someone said to me, look, ask the riders because they always blab. <laughs> you know, if you want to know what's going on, ask the rider. Because if you ask the team, they won't answer. You know, they won't tell you. But ask the riders. And I think 
you know, going off that, what did the riders say? You know, the right, Rin said he had a front tire issue and Mir had a rear tire issue. Now that, that's a nightmare scenario, really, because you've got two different problems. You've got all, yeah. you, there's no consistency, is there? We're now going to a racetrack, as, as Keith says, that there's so many unknowns about it. So you're trying to solve an unexpected issue in the race because the Suzuki's already, always in the past been really good on its tires. So they've got a new problem. It's at different ends of the bike for, for each of their riders. Now we're going to a track where we don't even know what the, what 20% of the track surface is going to be like and what the other 80% might have, might have happened to it since they last tested. So they're trying to, they've got all these problems to solve. And then, yeah, coming on to Yamaha, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the top speed and then the tyre pressure as well. I mean, I, I don't know. As far as Lynn Jarvis, I mean, it all comes down to how much influence you think he has over the, the Japanese engineering side. You know, is he is he stressing, let's say, is he fighting the rider's corner in terms of the top speed? Because we know, we all know that this is not a secret issue, this, this top speed. It's been spoken about for years and we're not seeing the improvement made. So where does that come from? You know, where does, you know, who's responsible for that? We don't really know, do we? This is the big, the big, the big surprise. Yamaha have gone from being reigning champions. Well, okay, they are the reigning champions, double winners in Qatar to being the sixth manufacturer in terms of their best rider across the line in a year. I mean, who would have imagined that? So big weekend for them coming up. I mean, they, 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 they went well in the test. Quattararo did, you know, had good pace in the test. They need to turn it around because Quattararo hasn't signed yet, has he? Yeah, he might have had good pace in the test, but that's when you've got a one metre wide line going around the track and you're out there on your own. As soon as you get a few motorbikes under you fiddling around with your airflow and everything else, it's going to be a different matter altogether. I mean, the Lynn Jarvis thing, I can see what your uh, your, your fellow was on about um, regarding that. Lynn has seemingly um, slithered his way through a few years extra, whereas if you were a team manager at a football club, he'd have been fired ages ago because that's what it's like in football, but not in motorbike racing. Lynn Jarvis is a politician. He's pretty smart at getting around stuff. I always remember the, um, the when he actually had the Japanese apologise to the riders publicly in front of everyone else about the lack of performance of the bikes. I mean, mate, I've never seen that in my life coming from a Japanese factory or, or anybody from Japan thinking about it. I mean, the way they do things is quietly behind the scenes. It is what was probably one of the most un-Japanese press conferences I've ever seen or heard in my life. Um, and you, and we, I remember we were all scratching our head thinking, well, hang on a minute, shouldn't Lynn be taking the rap for that, really? Shouldn't he be the man that's... Uh, I think I've been more critical of Lynn Jarvis and, and, and the like when they've made weird on-track decisions. They've left the rider out too long or they've pulled him in at the wrong time. There seemed to be a whole raft of that going on a couple of years ago. But I think Pete's dead right with with the fact that he can't even even Lynn can't be held responsible um, for the performance of the of the motor. That's you know if that wasn't obvious to the factory um, without Lynn even making a mention of it, then um, they've obviously gone deaf. Uh, I think Yamaha are, Yamaha are in trouble, and I'm not convinced that the likes of Mandalika is going to sort that out for them, even though he, he had a reasonable test there. Um, because I just don't think the, the Yamaha has the performance. So, so Yamaha um, clearly... Mind you, it could end up being a wet race. Well, well, <laughs> well, that could change it all, couldn't it? And then if the track's breaking up, even more fun. But on that, you know, Yamaha are in trouble. Dave has asked, and I think we have spoken about this, but maybe just be, be good to sort of clarify it. Uh, he's asked, nice podcast, thanks as always. Um, on the Yamaha engine and the whole bike situation... What can they actually do now that the bikes are limited with changes this season? What can they do to, to try and improve their performance? The engine is sealed. 
so they're they're absolutely whatever the hardware is now they they run what they brung because that's it it's only aprilia who can make those kind of changes and do testing um during the course of the year so yamaha that's it. I, I mean, one of the comments that I saw, Pete, that I mean, I'm sure you'll jump on this in a minute, was, was you know, they have other areas that they can improve the bike with. Huh? Hang on a second. What are the other areas? They can improve grip, you know, only by the way that the thing delivers the power. You know, if you can get onto a straight a mile an hour faster, you might gain three mile an hour down the straight by the time it builds up. But you can't rely on that all the time, particularly if you've got a Ducati or a better turning Suzuki underneath you or whatever it might be. You know, you're in a whole world of pain if you're Quattararo. You know, I said it last last time, we, last week's podcast, that Kenan Sofoglu has, has played a blinder with top rack Razgelioglu because, you know, like not having him on the bike this year, perfect. Because Yamaha, they're, they're going to get, you know, the factory's going to beat themselves up over this year, I'm sure. And by the time we get to 2023, we're going to have a motorbike that's going to be outstanding, I'm sure. It's just hard to know, Steve. I mean, speechless. <laughs> Anybody, I mean, um, not anyone, not watching this on YouTube, and uh, they'll wonder what the pause was. Then it was Pete, Pete Sharp in taking breath and a shake of the head. I just think that Cotter has been so crystal clear with what he's wanted, hasn't he? But that we're talking about next year being a response, but we were expecting this year to be the response, weren't we? I mean, yeah. what possible reason was there for not? responding now but to come back to the question what can they do now so the only thing that i've heard is that i think well obviously they can homologate different wings okay so and i think quattararo looking forward he's going to homologate maybe around i think by the sound of it from what he was saying in qatar for magello they'll homologate another set of wings that might help yeah, it's only slightly. One. Yeah, they could they can do one make, update. Yeah, they can only make one change in an entire year. Yeah, that's it. And it sounds like by Magello, that will that's what they'll use to try and help them. I think <laughs> it'll be a lower downforce, because lower downforce, a bit more top speed, isn't it? That's so. But that's it. That's a, that's really as you say. That what else could they do? They can improve the ride height device. That's the other option. Now, if if they were like Ducati, if they'd have been working on the front ride height device, that you know that. Okay, that would be a, a card they could pull out of their, you know, pull out of the deck and go right. Well, here we go. We've got a front system as well that will give you a little bit more corner exit. But there's no signs of that, as Keith says. It sounds like all the other manufacturers want to get this, you know, the ride height devices banned. Which I, I don't know. I'm not really not too comfortable with the idea of all these. I think it just what happens if the other manufacturers just decide we don't want to develop something, so let's just get it banned. I mean, we've got seamless gearboxes, carbon brakes. When are you going to see those on the road? Never. Um, I mean, you know, choosing, okay, we don't want to put money into the development of something because someone else is ahead of us. I, I don't know. I'm just, just concerned that it might, it might lead to things being banned because the other factories know that they've been caught out and perhaps just don't want to go down that route. I mean, where, where do you draw the line? Of course, you, you can always come in with safety eventually, isn't it? That's what we always hear. That's always... But safety is everything. You can come up with safety for, for anything on a motorbike, can't you? But So I'm not too comfortable, actually, with, with this kind of what seems to be going on behind the scenes and the whole the other five are against it and everything else. Not, you know, on the argument of, well, it's, it's of no use to production bikes or it's, a, I mean, there's so many things that you can make that same argument for. Mm. So I, I don't know. But there we are. I, yeah, to answer the question, aerodynamics, ride height device, that's about it. Um, but it's, you're talking about, maybe one or two K I, I can't see that if it was a brand new engine, you might think, Oh, well maybe as the year goes on and as they check the reliability of it, they could raise the revs of it. 
you know, that the, they would say, okay, the en- when they when they unseal the engine, so when they take it out of the allocation and go, okay, that's reached its mileage, they take it apart, they check everything on it, because obviously they want to make sure they haven't got any problems brewing. If they saw, oh, everything's fine, you know what, we can raise it a little bit. But I mean, looking at the top speed figures, there's no reason to believe that this is that there's anything really different on this engine. So, but at the same time, look at the Honda, as Keith was just saying, look at maybe also the Ducati. Those are engines that you, Suzuki maybe also, as they get more mileage, as they learn more about these engines, we could see them just, just you know, release a few more revs. So it could get worse for Yamaha, I'm afraid. Let me just pick up on that safety um, point that you made in there, Pete, if I can. Yes. I mean, I think one of the issues where the ride height uh, shapeshifter type syndrome is a problem for MotoGP is that from a safety perspective, we're getting out of corners quicker now and we're getting into corners faster as well, which is lengthening the straight, which is giving us the runoff that all of a sudden we're in the danger area. Bikes are approaching corners at a quicker speed and braking later than they ever have done now so we've got a bigger velocity entering corners which is meaning that right bikes and riders are reaching the air fences they're reaching the barriers and i think before we know where we are we're going to have racetracks that are becoming dangerous i mean that's a very difficult situation to sort of come to terms with because it's all relative isn't it i mean that you know if you're racing some tracks in America, they're very dangerous, but they're brilliant racetracks. If you race at some tracks in the UK, they're brilliant, but they're slightly safer than the American ones. And then if you're racing MotoGP tracks that are homologated, they are the gold standard of safety, as in the amount of runoff you've got and the amount of thinking that's gone into to what's around furniture-wise. Um, but as these bikes get quicker and quicker and quicker, the carboys have got the same problem all the time. You know, do we make the do we make the tires more slippery? Um, it, it, you know, when you've got better tires every time that are coming into, you know, Michelin have built some really, really good tires that are working really, really well now. We had the Bridgestones prior to that that were, you know, fantastic on the front end, but perhaps a little loose on the rear end. So all these things are, are, are building into MotoGP becoming really quick, really, really quick. And maybe it, does it wind back to what I said a bit earlier on about the baggers? You know, what really matters is great racing and whether from a manufacturing point of view, and you touched on it as well, Pete, where it is going to work its way through into the road uh, motorcycles. Now, seamless gearboxes, I could see seamless gearboxes eventually making it to the road. They will be massively expensive. There's no doubt about that. But I can see some of the exotica ending up with seamless boxes, perhaps. Aerodynamics, waste of bloody time on the road. Shapeshifters, waste of time on the road. Where on earth are you ever going to be seeing it, using it? Carbon brakes, I can see carbon brakes coming for the road at some later stage. Again, it will be on the Exotica. Now these carbon brakes work in the wet as well as they do in the dry, whereas in the past they only worked in the dry. And if you had them at 3 million degrees or whatever they were, and if they dropped one degree out of that, then you had no brakes for the first 50 yards of trying to stop the thing. (laughs) That was my era, by the way. Um, So it's kind of, I can see some of the stuff working its way through. I think the manufacturers, what we've got to remember as well is financially, the world is in a mess, you know, like, and it's going to get worse. These guys are proje- projecting what they are going to be doing, what they are going to be spending years into this at the moment. And the world's economy is going to be in trouble over the next few years. There's no doubt about it. And I think innovations, wind tunnels, all the rest of it, bloody expensive, really expensive to develop new stuff. So maybe there's going to be a situation where we end up with a bit of a freeze on some of this. And and like you've already said, Pete, five five manufacturers 
you know, they're against Ducati. Now you can put that down to just the gamesmanship situation, I suppose. Ducati, Gigi Delinea, I mean, I'm sure he gets more pleasure out of bloody thinking up something that, that circumnavigates the rules and every other manufacturer as he does in seeing his motorbikes win races. I mean, I mean, the guy and his team, because it is a team that work together, obviously, are just geniuses at, at managing to do that. Shapeshifters, do we need them? I don't think so. I've never been a, a, an advocate of them. I don't, I don't, I don't particularly think that they are, you know, an enhancement to MotoGP. They're 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 too far off the wall for me. So, from my point of view, firstly, I absolutely agree that the lap times need to drop. Livio Super also raised it brilliantly. He did a press conference just before Qatar to sort of introduce himself in his Suzuki colours, and he said, "Look, if you take a, a second off the lap time, it's not going to affect the show. If you know, as long as it's evenly across the board." And I absolutely agree on that, On you know, that the bikes need to be slower. My problem is banning something that some people have and some people don't. I prefer them to ban seamless gearboxes or carbon brakes because everyone's got them. And you're not- They would have if they'd seen them coming. I remember having that conversation yeah, yeah, with yeah. one of the hierarchy yeah. in the, the trio, the, I won't say which one, but FIM, Dorna, Erta. You know, I remember having a conversation with them and if they'd seen seamless gearboxes coming, they would have legislated against them before they got here, but they're stuck. Once they arrive, they've got to be there for the next year. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. That's what I mean. You know, they could have been. Why didn't the other five manufacturers? It was Honda, wasn't it? I remember being at the Sepang test when when it came out, and Honda actually had to put out a press release because people were actually saying, "Is this illegal?" You know, have they? Because it was there was a, a method of seamless gearbox was banned under the rules, wasn't it? And Honda very cleverly have come up with, you know a mechanical method, let's call it that way, to get around it that's, that's legal and is, and is being used now. But at the time, people just couldn't even imagine that that was possible. And Honda actually had to put out this sort of short statement going, yes, you know, we wouldn't use something that's not within the rules. The point being, if we, if, if this was the situation we're seeing now with the ride height devices, instead of developing the seamless gearbox, the other five manufacturers should have then got it banned. Now, it, it wasn't banned. And now we're seeing that the ride height will be. That's, that's where I, I'm just a little bit uncomfortable that... Banning something that everyone's got, carbon brakes, seamless gearboxes, so everybody drops a bit. But if you ban the ride height device, Ducati will will lose more than the others, won't they? So, you know, well, they, punishing they, them for, for, for pushing that envelope, finding something that's legal when they didn't protest the seamless gearbox. So, you, you know, where do you, where do you, you know, how do you keep it fair? I absolutely do agree that, that speeds need to be limited. Something needs to be done to, to bring the lap times down. Absolutely. They did it with the ECU, Pete. Honda had the best, you know, control unit that there was in the paddock, and we ended up going back to the Magneti Mirelli, you know, seven years, basically, retrospective step. Some people were saying that it felt like a seven-year retrospective step when they had to go to the spec ECU and uh, inertial platform that the two brains of the motorbike, two electronic brains of the bike that that had to go back to this specification that. I remember Colin Edwards, when he first got on the, the, the Yamaha you know, with the spec electronics on it, he said the bloody thing's awful. And Honda was so far ahead of the, the game, like Ducati are with things like the shapeshifter, Honda were that far ahead of the game when it came to electronic control that um, when it had to go back to the spec system that is across the board now, I mean, Shuhai Nakamoto, you remember, resisted massively in the paddock, Dorna's push to try and get that ECU, that spec ECU across all across all bikes. Um, but in the end, Dorna had their way. So it it, it it can and will be done if 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 the sport is 
if it's deemed to be the bigger thing. And I think that in this particular instance, with the shapeshifter, I'd, I'd probably be on Dorna's side for, for legislation. But I'm on your side, absolutely 100%, when it comes to innovation. I feel the same as you, that that, that restricting innovation is a bad thing for a, for a prototype sport like ours, like MotoGP. I just see, it's interesting you raised there, wasn't it, Dorna? had the final say and I think it wasn't the man and I think it could be the same with the ride height device couldn't it it sounds like the way things are voted through with the Grand Prix Commission it's MSMA it's ERTA it's FIM and it's Dorna well we know that ERTA FIM and Dorna basically vote as one so you've got yeah. the MSMA they're not going to be unanimous if if Ducati is against banning it so therefore it then you know the, the emphasis shifts over to what Dorna wants to do so because then the others will obviously vote with Dorna um so again, yeah. So, yeah, as you say, slightly different. You've got the manufacturers banning it. The electronics was Dorna banning it. And, and you know, if Dorna want to want to decide the ride height devices, we'll solve it. But I mean, what's the ride height device worth a lap? Is it enough? You know, is it enough to just ban the ride height device? Are we going to need a package of things? I, I, you know, what's a ride height device worth over a lap? Is it, well, I think know, yeah, what it's worth more than anything is it's a spoiler. It's a spoiler out of out of off the line and into and into a corner. You know, if you've got if you've got control over that right high device properly, those you can't you seem to have. Why did you haven't said that? Where were you catty at the weekend at Qatar? You know, like <laughs> it's motorbike racing. It's a different thing. It's not like you bolt it on a flat platform in Formula One. Sorry if I'm slightly derogatory again with with Formula One, but it's a different type of engineering, isn't it? It's a platform with a bloke strapped in it. Um, you know, there's very little sort of body movement that that a driver can alter the, the dynamic of his car that's all done you know pretty much through the data and stuff that the teams have to, to make that work with a motorbike you know where the guy positions himself and moves himself and this is where you know where buddy mark is is so incredibly brilliant in that even without the assistance of that electronic control that i was alluding to a minute ago marquez was able to alter his style to work the honda that was now a wild animal without that control he was the only one on a honda that could make that work into the future now let's come back a bit now we've got a, a, a you know everyone else is caught up a bit with with the honda and the honda has, has, has sort of evolved into a motorbike the more people can ride but that's the difference the rider can still make the difference on a motorbike i think is the short bit that i'm making here whereas you know if you put you know who was it that um, jumped in george russell that jumped in lewis hamilton's you know formula one car and could have won that race that he was in as a as a, as a replacement twice over as it turns out he didn't because of whatever the failures were with the with the pit stop and the tire but the point being is george russell jumps from a so-and-so car into the winning type car and he can win the race that won't happen in motorbikes ever you could put that you know you might be able to put marquez on a on a on an aprilia and he might be you know place or two further forward um because he will make the difference mm. or he would have made the difference i'm not so sure he would at the moment <laughs> but i'm sure he's getting i'm sure he'll be coming back that's a that is a very good point actually and, and brings us on nicely to this final question that's come in um uh, and there i was thinking we wouldn't have much to talk about um <laughs> we need we need danny aldridge back on the show i think that's what i've taken from that discussion there um uh, he's hiding under his desk yeah, he's not ready he's not going to face us yet until a few races in i think uh but this uh is talking about riders making the difference uh mark blackman has asked um regarding uh an air bastonini i wanted to comment on his upper body positioning in turns i've never seen anyone hang off as far as him 
could this be the beginning of a new style, like how Rossi popularized the whole foot down technique, or I think he's referring to uh, Kenny Rogers here, the knee drag, and he how he made that quite popular. What do you think? Well, if you look across the evolution of motorbike riders, there, there, there is no doubt that Mark Marquez was the man who changed everything. You know, everybody, even Valentino Rossi, looked at what Marquez was doing to make it work. I mean, it was a sea change. You're right, in the Roberts back in 73 or whenever it was when he first hit the shores over here, you know, you suddenly looked at the guy and thought, wow, what's he doing? You know, Freddie Spencer was one of them. They're the ones we call aliens. You know, they're, they're called aliens for a reason because they're, they're out of this world and what they've discovered and what they've decided that they can make that motorbike work better. It comes back into what I just said a moment ago. The rider can make the difference. You look at Mick Doohan's style. Mick Doohan's style looked weird. Norik Arbe, even weirder. You know, it was a cross between James Whittam and, and, and Randy Mamola. You know, you, you you know neck out, feet hanging off the pegs, all sorts of stuff. You know, there's so many different styles of, of riding a motorbike to find that last thousandth of a second. It's a rider makes it. That's what makes MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3 and every other class, really. It's so exciting. It's those, those riders that experiment with where they need to be and how they need... The first time I heard of riders smudging the front brake with the throttle on, still, to leave a bit of weight over the front, to lean that bike into the front. Hang on a minute. You know, that's like the biggest no-no in the entire world. You know, the only people you ever saw have front brake and throttle on at the same time was the amateur that had got the front wheel locked up that was just about to crash because he'd got a big handful over everything. But then it became a technique. You know, suddenly you have a little bit of front brake on and the throttle on at the same time to lean it forward. You know, you're flat out through a corner and you're just using the back brake to calm the thing down. There are so many things going on that we cannot physically see from a television point of view, despite the fact it's so brilliant in super slow-mo now, whereas in the in the past it was just a blur of TV. I mean, I, I look at some of the old stuff and you, you ain't got a clue what they're doing. But they're all doing something. They're all looking for some technique that will get you around it. And they won't tell you what it is either. The only way you might see it is through data. You know, like if you're part of the team and you can see what another rider is doing data-wise. Don't you remember Cal Crutch though? Cal Crutch used to say, yeah, I've got access to all the data that Mark Marcus has got. <laughs> I can see what he's doing, but I can't do it. You know, or words to that effect. I mean, you know, Cal was always very forthright. I loved the way Cal used to speak and he was dead straight about it. You know, he said the man would lock his front brake into a corner every time. You know, he'd just lock up. You know, these are things that, that normal mortals don't do. And that's why we, we class them back in the day, the old fashioned way of calling them aliens. Out of this world, some of them blokes. Wait till we get top rack in. Woo. No, you're, you can't wait for that day. I think we'll be get we'll be on the beers that oh. day comes out. You top rack, you're number one fan. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I'm a massive fan of top rack Razagati Ogbu. I really am. I think that, that just he's got a great personality. He's fun. He's fun to watch. I mean, you could make a film about him all on his own. Mm. Oh, while we're on the subject of film, oh, it's a bit grim. The English language. Um, MotoGP Unlimited, it's got um, slated and slammed massively out on Prime this week. They say they're going to sort it out, by the way, folks, that we will be able to get rid of the English dubbed voice that's on it and go back to what everyone saw in the press uh, earlier on when they had press previews and stuff where it was a subtitled event. I don't know why they've, they've dubbed it with this English language that you can't get shot of because it absolutely got slammed this morning, Monday morning, when everybody it was released and we could all take a look at it. I mean, one very, very high up commentator 
that I worked with fairly recently said he couldn't get past the intro. He had to turn it off. Oh, that bad, God. <laughs> it's the most forthright I've ever known Gav in his entire <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the best uh, the best launch for MotoGP Unlimited and uh, on Prime. But yeah, as you say, if you think that is uh, that is being fixed as soon as possible, I think for the good of the everybody involved. Um, well, uh, we're rapidly running out of time after after all that. But of course, we uh, we do need to look ahead to this weekend properly and of course the track circuit brand new you've already alluded to it we've spoken about it as well because they've tested the mandalika circuit yet to properly race there first time we're going there keith um you love that part of the world as well can you talk us through what we might expect and and your thoughts uh, ahead of indonesia this weekend I think the riders originally were really, really looking forward to this. The first reports you got, it was a, it was a little bit tight in places, and it wasn't really, you know, from what they'd seen from pictures and the like, and when they'd been out and took a look at it. But when they rode it, I think they quite liked the, the layout of it in the end, apart from when it started to break up. The big question is whether they have managed to fix whatever that is the problem with the mix of tarmac that's down on the deck. Um, if it's picking up stones and flinging it out, and you're getting showered in big rocks like many of them were you saw riders with marks on their necks and marks on their hands and holes in their windscreens and so on and so forth that's unacceptable be interesting to see whether they've managed to fix that and that was in you know acceleration lines wasn't just in corners so it was all over the place um track itself is massively important for indonesia i mean some of the pictures that are coming back from golden goose you know david goldman and the like have been sending the stuff back in and have been beautiful. I mean, it's it, it, this will be a fantastic Grand Prix and one that will be bucket list material, providing they don't muck it up this this weekend. Um, now, if there was a problem with the track, what they should have done is left it till later in the year rather than you know ruin the launch, if you like. I think it's going to be a Honda track. I've got that feeling that with the way Polis Bargro is looking, you know, he went well in the test there. Uh, Marquez is, is there or thereabouts as well as he gets fitter and fitter and fitter. Once he gets bike fit again, as we might expect from him, he's going to be something like it. Ducati won't be won't be as in a, a bigger state as they were in Qatar. I think that was a you know one of them horrible weekends where they had a mix of problems across all all teams and rides riders. Um, Yamaha, well, Quattararo could get a one good lap in around Mandalika. But it's going to be a question of whether that deficit top end wise is going to affect, you know, if you're coming into a corner and a Ducati or a Suzuki or whatever, I mean, particularly Suzuki, you know, they've got the performance now as well. And they turn really well. You're screwed. You know, you're going to lose a place, you know, and that that is going to be a problem for Yamaha. So it's going to be interesting to see whether they've got any data from Qatar that's going to assist them this time out. Personally, I think that Honda are well placed for the weekend. Ooh. That's going to be my bet, anyway. Get, well, is it? Who's slipstreaming is, is it that time then? Is it time for a for a bet at the moment? Our predictions based off last week, we've all got zero points. And uh, thank you to those who also <laughs> we were that good. Yeah, we were that good. And thank you to all those who sent in their own predictions as well. Only a couple scored a couple of points. I think we had a few people with Bastianini on a podium, but nobody for the win there. So well done uh, for predicting that. But I mean, I sat down before this and I just thought I, I just can't. It's just, I couldn't think of anybody to put. But well, go on, Keith. Let, let, let's start with you because you think hot, you've got it's, you've got. It's going to be Polis, Bar- Polis Bargro's first MotoGP win. Do you think? Okay. 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 You know what? Oh. 
<laughs> I did have that, but I crossed it out because you... <laughs> Cause I thought you, sl- you slated him so much last week. So I was like, no, <laughs> so I'll go for that well, one. He should have won last week, well, yeah, in my view. But he didn't. Go on then, who's your second and third? No. Second or third? <laughs> I think um, Quattararo third. Oh. About, I'm, I'm going to go for a Honda 1-2. Marquez? <laughs> yeah. Or Nakagami, are we? <laughs> no, no. I'm definitely going to go Marquez. Marquez. Nakagami needs a good result out that way. Yeah, he as well. The Asia position. They both specific. do. Um, Nakagami could, you know, Indomitsu, the, the you know major sponsors, could definitely do with a bit of a lift out there. Mm. Oh, well, all right then. So, Paulo Spargaro, Mark Marquez, mate, that would make a Honda 1-2 and Fabio Quattararo back onto the podium. For first podium for 2022, potentially. All right. You've locked them in. Pete. What have you got for us? <laughs> I did have exactly the same. No! So, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was smiling as Keith was saying all that. So, yeah. So, well, uh, yeah, we can't go exactly the same, can we? So You were thinking, bastard. I got, yeah, I, I had a Honda 1-2, Pole and Mark. And yeah, so, I'll, well, I'll go Mark and Mark first and Pole second. Then, <laughs> oh, that's, just oh, to give a bit of variety. Right. And, I, and then I had Quattararo as well on the podium. But... Oh. You know what? Yeah. Uh, you, let's go Bas- Bastianini third. Oh, ba- oh he subbed him yeah, out. That's a good he chair. subbed him yeah, out. I would say he that's a he good was chair. he was the one that I yeah, I, I was sort of having an eye between him and Quattararo. Uh, Sorry, I mean, Pete. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a Mandalika mystery weekend though, isn't it? I mean it, it's it, it, one of Keith's comments jumped out at me because he was saying about, you know, this is gonna be a, a bucket list event in the future. And what the one thing that comment that I saw sort of off the record from guys that have been at the test that sort of, I think, sums it up. They said, look, this is going to be an amazing event in two or three years. And I think that's the thing. This first race is just coming a bit too early, isn't it? I mean, obviously, with the building around the track and and the track surface and everything else, you know, you don't need to be Einstein to work that out. But I think in a nutshell, that's the situation, isn't it? I mean, we've had a COVID pandemic, which has delayed, obviously, construction, as you can imagine. But yeah, as Keith was saying, I think there's a few fingers being crossed because it is coming a little bit early, isn't it? So let's hope it all goes well. Uh, in terms of the predictions and the track, top speed is down a lot this weekend. That's the one thing you can say for Quattararo and everything else. You know, it was 3.57 or something, wasn't it, in Qatar. You're down to 3.15 at the test. So is that going to help the Yamahas and the other guys? Who knows? But anyway, that, yeah, that, I still think, yeah, as Keith, Keith says it already, the Hondas look great at the test. Pole is arriving with all this confidence. I don't think he's, he's never led a race for that long, has he? I, you know, certainly Dom, what, 17 laps. So he knows he can win. They know the bike can win. And, and I think it's all there on paper. But I mean, the weather, the track surface, we've got Moto2 and Moto3 that weren't at the test. What will their rubber do when mixed in with everybody? There's so much unknown. In a way, it's almost, it's almost more unpredictable than Qatar. But there we are. Well, se- it's going to be one to watch. That's for saying sure. that. Exactly. Um, exactly. I, I I agree with a lot of what you said, um, but I have gone a different way. <laughs> I've gone for a, a mere Suzuki win, <laughs> followed by Bas- yeah, like Bastianini yeah. second, and I put Marini on the podium. I don't know why. I've Ooh. just got a funny feeling. Wow. I've got a funny feeling, but this could be the beginning of the end the for me. Yeah. Who knows? Well, <laughs> good luck with that, Harry. Yeah, I think we'll need it. Well, we're all on zero <laughs> points. Now's the time to be risky, and then and then we'll come back to how it all pans out. Let us know uh, your predictions as well, please, in the comments section below. We love getting them in, um, and it always is a wide variety, which just emphasizes how unpredictable <laughs> it is right now. It's brilliant. It's 
brilliant for MotoGP. It's brilliant for racing. It's brilliant for the broadcasters. It's brilliant all round. So uh, looking forward to it. And hopefully the track is in good condition as well. And that will just make it a, a good weekend, I think, uh, for, uh, for for the second round of the championship. All right, then, gents. I think we'll leave it there for now. That does it. Round two of the 2022 MotoGP World Championship is this weekend in Indonesia. It's going to be a busy weekend, I think. Uh, make sure you're tuned in across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the weekend. Uh, and then we'll be back with you next week to take a look at how it all unfolded. So get your questions in, leave them in the comments section or tweet Instagram or Facebook us. Just search the Crash MotoGP podcast. It would be rude of me as well not to do a little plug. I know it's a four-wheel plug, but if you've enjoyed the MotoGP podcast and you are also into Formula One, Crash is launching a brand new Formula One podcast with myself and the mighty broadcaster Ben Edwards and Lewis Larkham as well, who is the Crash um, F1 editor. So that will be coming out as well. So stay tuned for that in all the usual places. But leave us a review wherever you get your podcast, like, subscribe, all that jazz, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.